continue in our sermon series on the meals with Jesus. Somebody say, meals with Jesus. I want you to shout it out, meals with Jesus. And I said a few months ago or a few weeks ago that what we're doing on Sunday mornings is that we're looking at the book of Luke. We're looking just at the book of Luke and we're going to look at all the times and the occasions where Jesus ate with someone or a group of people. And when Jesus ate with a group of people or he ate with someone in the book of Luke, it tells us something happened. People's lives were changed. People's lives were transformed. Families were transformed. Boundaries and standards and rules were overturned. I mean, miraculous things happened when Jesus ate with people. And so in the book of Luke, there's all kinds of eating in the book of Luke. I mean, Luke chapter 5 was the first story that we dealt with. And how many remembers the story that I preached about Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners? And then last week we dealt with where Jesus was anointed at the house of Simon the Pharisee by a woman of the city. She came in and she began to wipe his feet with her hair, and we saw how Jesus broke the custom of the day by allowing a woman at the banquet table. That's Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 9 is Jesus feeds the 5,000. Luke chapter 10, Jesus eats at the house of Mary and Martha. Luke chapter 11, Jesus condemns the Pharisees and Sadducees, or excuse, excuse me, teachers of the law, at a meal. Luke chapter 14, Jesus is at a meal where he urges people to invite the poor to the table. Luke chapter 19, Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 22, we have the account of the Last Supper. Luke chapter 24, Jesus is eating with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and then at the end of the chapter, they eat again, and they eat fish and bread. You see, in the book of Luke, Jesus is either going to a meal, Jesus is either at a meal, or Jesus is coming home from a meal. I mean, the book of Luke is filled with Jesus eating with people. Jesus loved to fellowship. Now, I don't know about you, but that is awesome to know that Jesus loves to fellowship. Raise your hand and say, I like that about Jesus. Somebody say amen. Jesus loves to fellowship. So if you look at the book of Luke, Jesus is either at a meal Jesus is either coming home from a meal or either Jesus is going to a meal. The book of Luke is filled with stories of Jesus eating with people. And every time Jesus ate with somebody, their life was changed and he disrupted the normal rules and regulations and the custom of his day. You see, we are a fellowshipping people. I mean, we love to eat. Do you know that in a lifetime, we will eat over 38,000 38, hours in a lifetime? In a lifetime, you will spend over 38,000 hours in eating. You will eat over 35 tons of food in a lifetime. And you spend approximately 67 minutes a day eating. Our life is filled with eating. Our life is filled with feasting. Our life is filled with fellowship. And just like Jesus eating with people, we do the same. But what I want you to see this morning is that I am not preaching about food. Although food is a means to an end. I'm not necessarily, I don't want you to get your mind and heart about me necessarily preaching about food. But I want you to look at it from a different angle. And I want you to see something that in the book of Luke, 
Jesus used a meal to reach people's hearts. Jesus used the table to reach their heart. Jesus used the table to start a conversation. Jesus used the table as a means of dialogue and conversation with people so that their hearts are open to the gospel. And could it be that you and I, if we follow the example of Jesus, could it be that we could follow the example of Jesus and invite somebody to our house that is unsaved and start a conversation with them? They may not get born again the first time you invite them, but could it be that you could start a conversation at the table when you feed somebody? I'm telling you, having a meal with somebody can be powerful. Having a meal with somebody can change their life forever. Not just eating together, but yet fellowshipping with one another spiritually and fellowshipping with one another relationally. Many of you wonder, what can I do for Jesus? What can I do? Well, all of you have a house. All of you have a table and all of you have food. You can do something for the gospel. What would happen if you opened up your house and you invited a co-worker that has been hurt by the church? What if you invited them to your house, fed them a good meal, sat down at the table, showed hospitality to them, and you begin to share your testimony with them? Could it be that their heart could be open to hear the gospel? Could it be that they could open themselves up to hear your story and your testimony? Ladies and gentlemen, I believe so. Jesus was accused of eating with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus wasn't afraid that their sin was going to jump on him. You see, you can contact somebody without being contaminated by them. Contact without contamination. Contact without contamination. You see, we're not supposed to live ourselves in behind closed doors of churches and keep ourselves from the unsaved. You see, the scripture tells us that Jesus associated himself with sinners. Jesus ate with sinners. He ate with them. He ate with tax collectors and sinners because it was a means where their heart could be open. Now, we see in the scriptures that some of the religious leaders invited him to eat so that they could trap him. But Jesus turned it around and he still spoke the gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, I am telling you that knocking on doors, it don't work really anymore. Knocking on doors, inviting people to church, it may work a little, but it's not very effective. It's not very beneficial because we have Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons who, who have polluted the system. Uh, we have to think of other ways to reach the lost we got to think outside the box. What are ways that we can do to reach the lost? Inviting them to church works sometimes, but it don't always work because people have preconceived ideas about the church. People think that the church, all they want is my money or all they are is hypocrites or etc. And you can fill in the blanks. Sometimes that don't even work either. So what method do we need to use to reach the hearts of men and women? And I'm telling you, the method of Jesus, you can invite somebody to your house, feed them a meal, and share the gospel with them. And ladies and gentlemen, that will work more than knocking on somebody's door. Thank you. One, one person clapped their hand. I'm going to say that again. It works better if you invite somebody to your house and befriend them and feed them and share the gospel with them at a table than it does knocking on doors. What would happen if each of you, each of you have a car, each of you have a house, 
and you eat every day. What would happen if you start inviting somebody that was, uh, that, that was hurt by the church, that left the church, that was a sinner? What would happen if you invited them to eat? Some of the most powerful moments in my life is when I was eating with my pastor and he spoke life to me. Right there, I remember times sitting there at a restaurant. We're eating, and he's speaking something to me, and I'm crying, and my, my tears is falling in my food. But it's those moments. It's not the moments of sitting in church hearing a sermon. It's that one-on-one, -on -one, relational, that one-on-one -on -one time with somebody where you're feeding your physical man, but at the same time, not only is my physical man being fed, but spiritually I'm being fed. Emotionally I'm being fed, and I'm being connected to what God wants me to hear. Ladies and gentlemen, I am challenge you. I challenged you last week to do away with your cell phones at the table and connect with somebody as you eat. Look at them in the eye and connect with them. So many times we sit at the table and there is no real koinonia, no real connection because we are so prone to space out on our electronic devices. And the Holy Spirit really started dealing with me about that, so now I just leave my phone in the car. If I go eat, I just leave it in the car. And there's sometimes I haven't been perfect because it's such a habit. But I want to break myself from that because people are more important. You, if I invite you out to eat, and, and you're not important enough to have my full attention, then we shouldn't be eating together. Just stay home. If you, just stay home if you want to talk on the phone and text. and Just stay home. Because if, we're not, if you're sending the message, you're not worthy of my attention, my eye contact, my conversation, then why are we sitting at the table together? Can I hear an amen? What are we teaching our children? What, what, are we, what are we teaching our children? It's okay to space out at the dinner table with your phone? When my grandparents was growing up, you sit on the front porch with a glass of tea and fellowship with your neighbors. But nowadays... We don't do that. We might go to the back porch, but it's enclosed, and we tell ourselves, don't talk to strangers. You see how our society has changed? We have become more ingrown, and we're no longer want to connect with people. Because you know why? We're afraid if we connect with somebody, they might find out where we're really hurting. And if they find out how we're really hurting, we got to take responsibility for it. You see, let me say this. When the world tells you you have a problem, they write out a prescription for you. We'll say it again. When the world says you have a problem, they write a prescription for you. But when God says you have a problem, He gives you a responsibility. I'm going to say that again. When the world says you have a problem, they write out a prescription for you to fix you. But when God says you have a problem, He gives you a responsibility to fulfill. Well, I'm going to say that again. That's good. And sometimes we want a quick fix. We want a prescription, so to speak, and, I, and you know, a quick fix, instead of really dealing with the issues of our life and taking responsibility. And one of the things that we can do is that 
It's a quick fix to come to the altar and say, Lord, save my mother and my father. Save them, Lord. That's a quick fix. But responsibility is, is to honor them when you don't think they're honorable. Responsibility means you pick up the phone and you say to them something. You make contact with them. You see, praying about things is a quick fix. We don't want to go the extra mile and take responsibility. You say, well, I'm just praying God moves on their heart. God gave you a hand. He gave you an ear and a mouth. You take the responsibility and you. Boy, this is some, is this all right, somebody? So Jesus ate with people because Jesus used it as an opportunity to demonstrate a cure to pe for people. You see, the early church in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, the early church said this, Acts 2 and verse 46, so they continued daily in one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, and they ate their meat with gladness and simplicity of heart. So the early church ate together all the time. They saw it as a form of community. They saw it as a form of togetherness. What would happen? You see, that was the... That was the blueprint and the template of the early church. It amazes me that people think the only thing spiritual in church is singing and preaching. That's not the only thing spiritual. How many knows fellowship can be spiritual as well? Connection can be spiritual as well. When you are a Christian, there is no boxes. This is spiritual and this is not spiritual. This is spiritual and this is not spiritual. No, no, no. When you become a believer, everything in your life matters and everything in your life is spiritual. And I hear an amen. Everything is spiritual. There's not compartments. Now, I'm, going, I'm just going to preach a little bit since it's Father's Day. Somebody said that. and Somebody said men are like waffles and men are like waffles and women are like spaghetti. Men, you know, waffles have those compartments. So that's how men think. What I did yesterday is no bearing in what I just said right now. These things are not related. With a woman, everything's related. What you did 10 years ago is because of what you're doing right now. Everything is spaghetti. It's all jumbled there and nothing is compartmentized. Come on, somebody, say amen. Let's give it up for the women in the house. And I'm, going to, I'm just going to say this. Most of the time, 99.9% .9 women are always right about it. Amen. Somebody say amen. Because I do believe somewhat sometimes things can be connected. Although I don't think that way. All right. Somebody say praise the Lord. Y'all can remind me when I get married that I just said all that. Can you? And everybody say amen. So Jesus ate with people. You're going to hear this a lot every Sunday. Instead of just eating with the same people, why don't you try to like somebody you're not connected with? Ask them, how is your day? Is there anything I can pray for? can be life-changing to somebody. Life I'm challenging you. Open your house and make your house your sanctuary. Make Cracker Barrel a sanctuary. 
Make Logan's a sanctuary. Make Freddy's a sanctuary. Make McDonald's a sanctuary. I'm just not eating. I'm going to eat with you, and we're going to talk about the Lord. You see? Make it a sanctuary, you see. Why, why was eating important in biblical days? Because eating supported kinship. It defined who was there and who was a part of the family and who wasn't part of the family. It enforced boundaries. Eating together in the Jewish world set status and gender and hierarchy. The man was set at the head of the table. His sons were set next to him. It was always hierarchy, status, and usually women would never sit at the table. They always served the men. It also perpetuated social values. Sometimes in the Jewish world, when they ate together, they would do certain washings on their hands. Or they would read certain scriptures. So they had a social value when they ate together. It also, when they ate together, it demonstrated who you were honoring. So if you had a guest, you would set them at the head of the table. And they were the person that you were honoring and they were the focal of the conversation. Jesus was invited to eat many times, and we assume that Jesus sat at the head of the table because he was the guest. Jesus ate with sinners. But all throughout the scriptures in Luke, Jesus overturned social values. Jesus disrupted their way of thinking. Jesus allowed women at the table. He ate with sinners. He allowed a woman to wash his feet. He allowed a disciple to pluck a head of grain on the Sabbath day before they ate. Jesus disrupted all of the social values of their day. And as we come to the story today, very briefly, in Luke chapter 11, there's another story where Jesus is eating with somebody. Luke chapter 11, verse number 37. Quickly, it will be behind me. Luke chapter 11, verse 37. And I've titled the sermon this morning, Jesus and Religion. Jesus and religion. Would you shout that out with me very quickly? Jesus and... Say it again. Jesus and... Shout it one more time. Jesus and religion. I want you to look at Luke chapter 11 and verse number 37. Luke eleven thirty-seven. And as he spoke, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and sat down, and what did he do? He ate. Somebody say, Jesus ate. And when the Pharisees saw it, marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. Then the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisee, make the outside of the cup and the dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Foolish ones, did you not make... did not... He who made the outside make the inside also? But rather also give alms of such things as you have, then indeed all these things are clean to you. But woe to you, Pharisee, for you tie the mint and the rue and the manner of herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Woe to you, Pharisee, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and the greeting in the marketplace. Woe to you, synagogues and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you are like graves which are not seen, and men who walk over them are not aware of them. Then one of the lawyers, 
Now get this, he's sitting at the table too. They're all eating. And then one of the lawyers said, teacher, by saying these things, you reproach us. You know what he's saying? Teacher, now, I can't believe you're saying such things. You've just offended us. That's what he's saying. Now look at verse 46. And he said, woe to you also, lawyers, for you load men with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets that your fathers have killed. In fact, you bear witness that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore the wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute. The blood of the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. The blood of Abel, the blood of Zechariah, perish before the altar of the temple. Yes, I say to you, it was required of this generation. Woe to you lawyers! You have taken away the key of knowledge and you did not even enter yourselves. And those who are entering, you have hindered. And as he said these things, the scribes and the Pharisees begin to assault him and cross-examine him about many things, lying in wait, seeking to catch him something that he might say that they might accuse him. I want you to look at verse number 37. Look at verse number 37 very briefly. The Bible says, and as he spoke, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went down to eat with him. So they're having a meal together. Jesus is sitting at the table eating with Pharisees. Not only is he eating with Pharisees, but he's eating with the lawyers as well. Now, Pharisees were, it's the word which means separate ones, and the lawyers were the ones who uh, interpreted the law. In other words, the lawyers would be the pastors, and the Pharisees would be the deacons. So you have the lawyers, and then you have the Pharisees, and they're all together with Jesus. And Jesus is not too nice here. As a matter of fact, Jesus is sitting at the table, and six times Jesus says, Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know about you, church, but if I was sitting at a table and somebody began to almost curse me, whoa, whoa, I don't know if that's a good feeling to have at the dinner table. But Jesus is at the dinner table, and he just unleashes on them. I mean, the Pharisees just said a few words, and Jesus just opens up, and he just tells these people off. <laughs> Somebody say amen. Now, what I want you to see here is the Pharisees and the lawyers, they represent religion. Somebody say religion. Somebody shout religion. The Pharisees and lawyers represent religion. And let me explain to you what religion is. Now, it's very important you understand. When I talk about religion, I am not talking about organized religion. Like this church, that church, that denomination, that denomination. I'm not talking about organized religion because I don't think Jesus is against organized religion. I'm glad there's organized religion instead of unorganized religion. I'm not talking about church or organized religion. When I talk about religion, I am saying it's a man-made attempt at controlling how God has to deal with people. In other words, it's our attempt to exalt our personal preferences and ideas above the Scriptures, above the Word of God. 
it's exalting our personal preference as Scripture. It's exalting our ideas and our opinions as Scripture and putting that as a burden on God's people. Is that found in organized religion? Yes, sir. It is found in organized religion. It's found everywhere because religion is universal. It is man-made attempt to control how God has to deal with people. It's putting our personal preferences as Scripture, our opinions. We exalt them. you got to dress a certain way. you got to act a certain way. And if you don't do that, God doesn't accept you. That's religion. But what is the gospel? The gospel is good news that states that our acceptance is not based on our performance. So the gospel means... It's good news. It's not based upon what you do. Your acceptance is not based upon your performance. In religion, your acceptance is based upon the do's and don'ts of performances. But the gospel of Jesus simply states that you have already been accepted in spite of your performance. In other words, get this church, religion is a weight while the gospel are wings. Religion weighs you down while the gospel gives you wings to be free. One weighs you down, one gives you wings. Everybody say weight and wings. Religion weighs you down with the do's and don'ts. But the gospel of Jesus Christ gives you the freedom that you need to live for Him. You see, Jesus did not sin because He wasn't... uh, Jesus didn't sin because He was free. He was free because He didn't sin. You see, Jesus walked in that freedom. He refused to walk under the weight of religion. And the Pharisees and the lawyers of the Jewish world constantly put people under religion of the do's and don'ts. You know what they would do? The Pharisees and the lawyers would add to the Scriptures. They would add to the Scriptures. And so therefore, many of the things that they did wasn't found in the Torah. It wasn't found in the Old Testament. It was what the religious people added to it. How many has ever been to church and you did things not because it was in Scripture, but because you were told to do it? Come on, can I hear an amen? You were told to do it. Now, there is a form of respect for leadership, but you understand what I'm saying. When it's based on salvation, that if you don't do this, your soul is damned, then that becomes dangerous. It becomes dangerous when it becomes a salvation issue if it's not found in the Word of God. You see, Jesus sat down with sinners and He ate with them. Now let me just say this. This is powerful. Could you sit down with somebody and eat with them when you don't agree with them? Jesus ate with somebody And he didn't agree with them. It's interesting. I hear people all the time, well, I might go to that family reunion, but it depends on who's there. See? Jesus had the ability that he could sit down at the table even with his enemy, and his enemy did not affect him. The problem, the reason we can't sit down with people is because it affects you too much. It contaminates you too much. We can't stand for people to disagree with us, so we just won't eat with them.
Y'all know I'm preaching good here, isn't it? People won't even go to a Thanksgiving dinner because they did me dirty about three years ago and they didn't apologize, so I ain't going to that dinner to eat with them. I expect that of a sinner, but I expect a Christian to turn to the other cheek and love people in spite of their faults and failures. So what are you saying, Pastor? Religion versus the gospel. These Pharisees and lawyers were religious. They opposed rules and regulations upon people that they themselves couldn't even bear. And Jesus is sitting at the table. He walks in because they invited him. So Jesus wasn't going to turn down a meal. So he goes in, sits down with them. And what does the Bible say? As he's sitting there, the Pharisees marveled. He didn't say it. He marveled and could not believe that Jesus never washed his hands. Now let me explain something. This was not hygiene. This was a ceremonial thing. They always washed their hands before they ate. But there was another washing, was a ceremonial washing to be cleansed before God. So they would take a, they would take a vase. And they would take the vase and they would pour it from the top of their fingers to their waist. So they take the, the vase, they would pour it on the top, and it would go to their, their shoulders or their, their elbows, I'm sorry. And then they would do it both. And then they would have somebody to give them a towel, and then that person would help them dry their hands as they prayed a prayer. So it was a ceremonial washing as they prayed. Jesus washed his hands so he could eat, but he didn't do the ceremony washing. So when he came in, he sat down and never did the ceremony washing. And the Pharisees is thinking, Jesus, you're not right before God because you never did the custom to wash yourself to be pure before God. And you know what? You know what's interesting? Nowhere in the Old Testament does it say you've got to do a ceremonial washing before you eat. Do you know who added that? It was the teachers of the law. It was the Pharisees. They added it to the scriptures. And when Jesus came to eat that day, Jesus is saying, I am not going to follow your customs. I'm not going to follow your traditions. I'm going to obey the word of God. The scriptures does not dictate to me that I need to wash my hands before I eat. That is something that you said I had to do, and I'm telling you, I follow the scriptures instead of your opinions. Nowhere is that found in the Old Testament you had to do that. It is something they imposed. And let me tell you something, religion will tell you that if you need to, religion will tell you, if you want to be right before God, you give this up, you give that up, you give that, and yes, you need to give it up, but you can't give it up yourself. It takes the power of the Holy Ghost working in and through you. Religion will tell you, you've got to dress a certain way. If you don't dress a certain way, then God will not accept you. Religion will tell you that you've got to clean up before you come to God. Come on, somebody. Religion will tell you, stay away from the world because they might contaminate you. But is there anybody in the building 
that you're not going to exalt your opinions above the Word of God, but you are true to what thus says the Word of God. You see, number one, religion. Religious people create their own rules. Number one, religious people create their own rules. And that's exactly what the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law did. They added things to the law. And that's what religious people do. Man-made rules. Religious preferences over the Word of God. Religious preferences over the Word of God. Listen, my first church, and this is no slam to my first church because I love them. As a matter of fact, I have a great relationship with them. I go back and preach for them because if you leave right, you can go back. Come on, somebody. So I have a great relationship with them. But I remember I was 22 years old, pastor in my first church, and they were very religious about uh, uh, your 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 you know your clothes down here, no shorts. And is that right, Sean? I mean, that's just exactly how they were. And I just remember I, I tried to follow it. I mean, I was clo- I had turtlenecks. I mean, dear God, I wouldn't. Sh- no, I'm just joking. But you know, everything was clothed because God forbid that somebody would lust after my elbow. So I was pure and holy until the air conditioner went out. And I was like, I don't know if I can follow these rules anymore because it's hot in here. How many knows I got liberated real quick right there? Let me tell you something. What really matters is are you following people's opinions or are you following the Word of God? You know what religion tells you? Religion says do better, do better, do better, and then God will help you. Ladies and gentlemen, we can't do better ourselves. Religion tells you do better, and God will help you. You know what religion tells you? Religion tells you this. Religion wants bad people to become good people. The gospel wants dead people to become alive people. I'm going to say that again. Religion wants bad people to become good people, while the gospel wants the dead to come alive again. You were dead in your trespasses and sin, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Savior, Jesus Christ, who quickens that dead spirit alive in the Holy Ghost. It's not about becoming good. It's about becoming alive in the Spirit. Religion teaches you to do good. Religion teaches you to do the outward expression, but yet on the inside you're dying. What rules have you heard in church that's not Scripture? Churches have been divided. Pastors have been accused. People have been wounded over your and our ideas and perceptions that's not even in the Word of God. We've done enough damage with religion. Can I say this? Look this way, friend. If whatever's preached here cannot be preached in Africa, it is not the gospel. The gospel is universal. universal. Whatever's said behind here is relevant to all cultures, generations, and people. If I'm just preaching cultural things and it's not relevant to the world, it's not the gospel because the gospel is universal. Do you hear me? 
So if I get up here and start preaching clothesline, it's not the gospel. The gospel is to be modest. Can I hear an amen? But the way they dress in Africa is surely different than the way you dress here. If you get offended because we don't sing Amazing Grace every Sunday, then you're probably not have a, a mindset that, that, that if you go to Australia and Africa, they may not even know Amazing Grace. Religion, religion tells you what songs is acceptable. More hurt has been done in the church because people have elevated their religious preferences over the gospel. Number two, religious people focus on the outside and they neglect the heart. What did Jesus say? Jesus said this. He said, now you Pharisees, you make the outside of the cup clean, but inside the cup is what? Verse 39, Luke eleven thirty-nine. but inside the cup is full of greed and wickedness. In other words, religious people focus on the outside, they neglect the cup, or they neglect the heart. And Jesus uses the cup as an example. The cup looks good on the outside, but on the inside, it's, it's all dirty. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if I gave you a cup that looked really good and you looked on the inside of it, and it had about a six-day-old coffee stain in there, you wouldn't, you just probably wouldn't feel comfortable with it. Because what's on the inside is just as important as the way it looks on the outside. Jesus uses the cup. He says, inside of you is greed and wickedness. Isn't that interesting? That greed is associated with wickedness. Religious people focus on the outside, but inside their heart is full of wickedness and greed. Let me tell you something, church. What about your heart this morning? How do you feel about people? I mean, when was the last time you felt conviction over something? Are you more concerned about church attendance? Because that's a byproduct of your heart being right. Religion tells you to come to church, but the gospel says repent and get the heart right. Did you hear me? What about the heart? Every once in a while we've got to do a heart check. Number three, religious people pick and choose what's important in the Bible. They pick and choose what's important in the Bible. Now, let me read this scripture to you. I'm almost done. Thank you for being attentive this morning. Luke chapter 11, and look at verse 42. Luke 11, 42. Religious people pick and choose what's important in the Bible. But look at what Jesus said. Luke 11, verse 42. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe the mint and the rue and the man of herbs, but you pass by judge the justice and the love of God. You ought to have done these things without leaving the other undone. In other words, these religious leaders picked and choose what they wanted to obey. They were very good at tithing. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, you should have done that. You should be a tither. But these religious people, I mean, they were staunch about their tithing. They made sure everything was tithed even down to the herbs in their garden. Everything was tied. But Jesus said, you're forgetting what about the love of God? What about justice? You see, nobody can see your giving record but you. 
It's something that's hidden. But what about justice? What about mercy, how you treat people? Jesus says, yeah, yeah, you're doing, all the, you're doing all the other stuff, but what about all the other stuff about loving God and loving people and justice? You're tithing, that's good. But you're not being salt and light. You're not being an example. You're not bearing fruit. Fruit is something that could be seen. See, that's what religious people do. They pick and choose what they want to obey in the Scriptures. Listen, and that's exactly what these religious people did. They tithed, but they didn't do the other things in the law. And we've got to be careful that as we're serving Jesus, that Jesus demands one thing of your life. That's obedience. That's what it means to be a disciple, being totally obedient to the Word. Religious people pick and choose what's important in the Bible. Number four, religious people want praise, don't they? You know what Jesus said? Religious people want praise. Look at it. Luke chapter number 11. I want you to see. The Bible says, verse number 43, Luke eleven forty-three. 43, Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogue. And you love to be greeted in the marketplace, but you're hypocrites. Jesus said, you love praise. Jesus said, you love to sit in the best seats. You love to be praised. You know what the Pharisees would do? They would lengthen their dress or their robe and walk through the marketplace, and that showed everybody how much authority they had. Jesus said, you want the praise in the synagogues? You want the, pra- you want the best seats? In the synagogues, you desire praise. Isn't that what religious people want? They want praise. Let me tell you something, church. I don't want Christ's point to be praised. I don't want Pastor Josh to be praised. I want the name of Jesus Christ to be praised. Let me say that. I want the name of Jesus to be praised. Now, I know people say this all the time. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about you but it takes you. God desires to use you. When you leave this church, I want you to exalt Jesus on the street. I want you to make Jesus number one. Religious people desire praise. They want the affirmation from people. They want to be seen and praised. Number five, religious, and I'm almost done, religious people are dead. You know what Jesus said? Look at it. Verse 44, Luke eleven forty four. Now get this, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you are like graves which are not seen, and men walk all over them and not aware of them. What is Jesus trying to say? What is Jesus trying to express here? He said, you're like graves that's unmarked. You know, in the Jewish world, they would have graveyards And if a Jew would walk over a graveyard, he would be unclean for seven days. If you walked over a graveyard, you would be clean, unclean for seven days. And you know what happened in the Jewish world? Sometimes there was unmarked graves. So you didn't know where you was walking, and possibly you could walk over a grave and didn't know it was there. And guess what the religious leaders would tell you to do? You need to probably bath every day. You probably need to do a ceremony bathing every day. And people were so burdened over this. Is this an unmarked grave? 
Got to make sure, because if I walk over it, I'm unclean for seven days. Jesus said, you religious people, you're like that. You're like the graveyard. And every person that comes in contact with you is Every person that associates with you is contaminated. He said, you, you're, you're the unmarked grave. People are walking all over you. You are contaminating thousands of people by your false doctrines. He says, you're dead. Dead. You're contaminating people. Just like a graveyard would contaminate people. Number five, religious people cry and complain when you point out they're wrong. <laughs> this is funny. Religious people cry and complain when you point out they're wrong. Look at verse 45. Luke chapter 11, verse 45. Then one of the lawyers answered and said to him, Teacher, by saying these things, you bring a reproach to us. Guess what? Guess what? This is so cool. Jesus sitting at the table. Jesus didn't wash his hands, remember? And, and the Pharisee is like, you know, I don't, you know, you're ceremonially unclean because you didn't wash. And Jesus just lights right into him. You hypocrite. Woe unto you. Woe. And he's just telling him, whoa, whoa. And then all of a sudden, at the dinner table, the lawyers... They're the other religious folk. They speak up and says, Teacher, you're saying all these things to the Pharisees. You're making us feel bad too. And guess what Jesus does? He says, Well, you're a hypocrite too. <laughs> Is that right? Verse 46. Look at verse 46. And he said to them, Woe to you also. Come on, Jesus was a bad man. Jesus looks to them and says, well, you know what, since I'm telling the rest of you off, I'm just going to tell all of you off right now. So he just turns around and says, well, woe to you lawyers, for you load men with burdens hard to bear, and you yourself can't even bear them. <laughs> Jesus is a bad man today. I mean, Jesus didn't take his medicine that day. I tell you, he just, <laughs> Jesus was just telling them off. I mean, y'all know you would like to tell somebody they're a hypocrite, wouldn't you, once in a while? <laughs> Jesus did it for you. Jesus did it for you. He said, looks at the lawyers and says, well, you're hypocrites too. Did you load all these people with burdens? You, you wouldn't even lift your finger to help them. Number six, religious people, number five, religious people complain and cry and moan. And you know what? You know what they'll say? Religious people cry and complain over their wrong. You know what they'll say? Don't judge me. That's a big thing nowadays. Jesus is referring to hypocritical judging. Not that we can't judge somebody's false works. He said to them, you see, that's a religious spirit. Because they only pick and choose what they want to believe in the Bible. And that scripture is really famous about don't judge me, but they don't see all the other scriptures. Religious people cry and complain when you point out that they're wrong. Number six, religious people make idols of their own opinions. You 
would never, if I brought a statue in here and asked you to bow down to it, you'd look at me like I was crazy. Look at Pastor Josh. But some of us, that's what we do to our opinions. You bow down before your opinions often. And you worship your opinions, your ideas, your perceptions, as if they're God. Everybody else is wrong. That's a religious spirit. Knowledge of suffering. If you think your ideas, your opinions, and your perceptions are right all the time, and they're God, that's a religious spirit. Let's major on the majors, and let's minor on the minors. What is the major here? Jesus Christ, Him crucified, died, and buried, and the salvation is through Christ alone. That's what we major here. Can I hear an amen? Everything else will work itself out. Jesus and religion, they don't really fit together, do they? Next week, you don't want to miss part four of Meals with Jesus because we're going to go further in the book of Luke and discover what happens when Jesus eats with people 